This is a Snow India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Almost every fisher in the coastal hamlets of southeastern Tamil Nadu seems to have a story to tell. One of harassment, assault or loss of life or property in the Pak Bay that separates India from Sri Lanka. Seemurthy is one such fisher from Jagadapatnam in the Pudukote district of Tamil Nadu. Can you see all those boats with wooden planks and tapes on cockpit windshields? They were broken when the Sri Lankan Navy pelted stones at us. Many boats have suffered such damage. Here's what another fisher, P. Balamurugan, who lives in the same village, had to say. If the Sri Lankan Navy spots fishing boats crossing the Indo-Sri Lankan border, they warn us and ask us to return. But because they are patrolling, they leave the area soon after. Once they leave, we occasionally return to the same spot to fish. But this time around, if they spot us, the Navy damages our nets, ram and sink our boats and kill us. Things get much worse at times. On October 18, 28-year-old R. Rajkiran of Kote Patnam in Pudukote was killed when a Sri Lankan naval vessel collided with his fishing boat. The Lankan Navy claimed that the collision took place when the boat attempted to evade them using what they called aggressive maneuvers. The young fisher died just a month after getting married. Even about a month later, the family of the young fisher, especially his mother Aravalli, remains inconsolable. My husband is ill and so he has not gone to work for the past 10 years. I got three surgeries done for hernia. I wanted to get my son married first before taking up further treatment. Never did I think that he would die within 40 days of getting married. I wanted him to be happy. How will I ever forget this? I keep talking to myself. He only went to go fish. He didn't rob anyone. He was a young man. They should have let him live. He had earned such a good name in the society. A similar tragedy had unfolded in January when FOMO had died after another Sri Lankan naval vessel rammed into a fishing boat. The Navy said that the fishers were, quote, resisting arrest, unquote. It's not a battle for land or for people. This is a battle about fish. One fisherman was killed and five others injured after Sri Lankan Navy opened fire near an island off the Tamil Nadu coast. The fisherman issue has become a flashpoint in India-Sri Lanka relations, a small one but a flashpoint nonetheless. And as the fishing communities on both sides battle it out, a ceasefire is nowhere on the horizon. Hi, I'm Hari Prasad Radhakrishnan, reporting for this episode of Climate Emergency. I travel to some of the coastal hamlets of Pudukote in Tamil Nadu, which adjoins a park bay, to understand the challenges faced by the fishing communities and get insights into possible solutions to the Indo-Sri Lankan fishing dispute. For long, India has been seeking humanitarian treatment of transboundary fishers from India. On the other hand, the Sri Lankan authorities 
point to rampant use of trawlers in their waters. Trawlers scrape the bottom of the sea using bell-shaped nets and destroy the marine ecosystem as they scoop out everything including corals, juvenile fishes, other sea animals and plants. For this reason, trawlers are banned in Sri Lanka. These trawlers go into the Sri Lankan waters regularly, destroying the marine life on the other side of the border. This affects the livelihoods of artisanal fishers of Sri Lanka. Artisanal fishers are those who use traditional non-mechanized fishing methods. The trawl boats muddy the waters and also allegedly damage the nets of Sri Lankan fishers. Suppose the Sri Lankan government goes to international court of justice. Just as Philippines did against China and South China two, three years ago, Mm -hmm. Neither government of India nor the Tamil Nadu government will have any say. Mm -hmm. Because our fellows are doing lot of atrocities in Sri Lanka. You just heard V. Surya Narayanan, former director of the Centre for South and Southeast Asian Studies at the University of Madras. Why does he think so? And what is the parkway fishing dispute all about? And what are the possible ways to resolve it? Trawlers were first introduced in India as part of the Indo-Norwegian project, a foreign aid program of Norway. On finding vast prawn-rich waters off the coast of Kerala, bottom trawling was introduced to tap into this pink gold for the lucrative export market. To get a piece of this pink gold rush, trawlers started expanding in Tamil Nadu in the mid-1960s. The expansion of trawlers was supported in a big way by the government as the country was facing a foreign exchange crisis at the time as India and Sri Lanka went to war in 1965. Prabhakar Jayaprakash, a doctoral scholar at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences who has been studying this conflict and related labour issues for the past five years, explains how trawlers were first introduced in the Park Bay districts. Initially, trawler was introduced in Kerala and then it came to uh, Tamil Nadu. Uh, so, uh, Mandabam was uh, in, in Park Bay, Mandabam was the center where uh, you know, uh, the trainings were provided to the fishers to uh, operate this technology. And uh, initially, uh, it was a kind of owner's cooperative. For example, four people were selected and a trawler was given to them to operate and it is it, it is a kind of a collective enterprise. But over the period of time, uh, the uh, individual you know, among the four, the, per the person who is able to mobilize money, who is a little uh, socially or economically wealthy, were able to uh, take control of the entire um, uh, trawling operation. Uh, so it became a kind of an individual property over a period of time. And uh, at one point of time, it was declared as a failure project. But um, uh, but within a couple of years, market took over the entire system. And they, they, uh, they realized that they would be able to make uh, lots of money, uh, primarily by exporting uh, prawns to uh, various countries. Later, during the Sri Lankan Civil War, which started in 1983, fishing was restricted in the island nation due to security reasons and the displacement of fishing communities. 
As a result, Indian trawlers had free access to marine resources in the Park Bay. During this period, the fleet size grew significantly. However, during periods of truce and after the Civil War ended in 2009, the dispute between the fishers flared up time and again. This is because Indian trawlers hurt the livelihoods of artisanal fishers from Sri Lanka, thereby affecting their post-war recovery. In one such flare-up, following the arrest of 23 Indian fishers in October this year, hundreds of Sri Lankan boats from Mullaitivu to Point Pedro took part in black flag protests. Fishermen from the town of Mulatheu in eastern Sri Lanka sail to the northern tip of the island. They're demanding the government stops what they say is illegal fishing by Indians and the use of banned fishing methods in Sri Lankan territorial waters. Joined by boats along the way, the flotilla had a key message, save our fish. They urged their government to implement the ban on bottom trawling and save their livelihoods from Indian trawlers. A delegation of fisher leaders from the northern districts of Sri Lanka also raised the issue during a meeting with the Indian High Commissioner in Colombo on November 1. The envoy also held talks with fishers from Rameshwaram in Ramnathapuram district of Tamil Nadu on November 21. Despite a number of bilateral dialogues, a resolution seems as far away as ever, with India not meeting its commitment to face out trawlers in the Park Bay. But India did try. In 2017, the Union and State Governments launched the Park Bay Scheme. In an effort to put an end to the persisting issue, recognizing deep sea fishing as a viable solution, the state and central governments have planned to replace bottom trawler boats with tuna longliner Kamgilnetter boats. The scheme aims to replace 2,000 trawlers in the district of Pudukote, Tanjavur, Ramnathapuram, and Nagapatnam districts. Fishers can apply for subsidies to buy what are called longliner Kamgilnetter boats under the scheme so that they would be able to move away from the shallow waters of the Park Bay and operate in deeper waters elsewhere, that is, on Indian waters. The boats allow for both long lining, which involves using baited hooks attached to a main line, and gill netting, through which fishers are caught by the gills when they try to pass through vertical panels of net. These deep sea vessels operate in the sea for about 15 days at a stretch. The long liner come gill netter boats cost 80 lakh rupees each. The centre and state governments provide 56 lakhs as subsidy. The fishers who apply for this scheme would have to provide rupees 8 lakh and were provided loans of up to 16 lakh. However, even after nearly four years, the scheme has yet to fully take off. A Tamil Nadu Fisheries Department official, on condition of anonymity, said that only 45 boats had been given to beneficiaries so far against a target of 2,000 boats. Why is that so? Murthy can think of many reasons. Unlike the catch that returns to the shore, the very next day, our fish does not look fresh. If you keep the fish for several days in the fridge, it would not taste as good as the fish that is freshly caught and sold. As a result, the prices are low. There are smaller fiberglass boats operated in Nagapattinam. They go to the sea around 2 to 3 pm and come back around 1 or 2 am. They use smaller nets that catch only about 1 ton of fish and operate at a distance of just 1 nautical mile from the shore. The tuna fish they caught is sold for rupees 160, but we sell it at a maximum of 58 rupees. Seer fish is sold at 800 to 900 rupees per kg, but we can only sell it 
for only up to 400 rupees on good days on seeing three people in our village operate these vessels the rest of the village is watching they don't want to opt for this scheme ha namma meen na kudukura meen evlo pona 58 rupees dhan podu kilo Murthy also says that the lack of diesel subsidy for deep sea fishing boats also adds to their woes. However, a few beneficiaries say that deep sea fishing reduces the stress about the safety of workers and equipment as they no longer have to go into Sri Lankan waters. Balamurugan, who is the president of the Jagadapatnam Troll Boat Fishers Association, says that many of the fishers were not in a position to invest such a large amount in boats. We own only troll boats worth rupees ten lakhs. Many of us are in debt. The scheme would put us further in debt. The government does provide fifty-six lakh rupees in subsidy, but we have to put in about sixty lakh rupees for the boat, nets, and bank loans. Recently, Union Minister of State for Fisheries L Murugan, in a media interview, said that the unit cost may be increased to one point three crore rupees. from 80 lakh rupees the cost may be revised due to the rising cost of raw materials such as steel but the scheme is still unlikely to cover nets and other additional amenities that said the scheme does have a good scope for scaling up said a senior scientist at the central marine fisheries research institute or cmfri who did not wish to be named he says that the right kind of investment in equipment and strengthening the market chain is required to improve the scheme There is also a concern of sustainability. Introducing as many as 2000 deep sea fishing boats would put fish stocks under pressure and may lead to overfishing. To prevent this, the CMFRI scientist told me fish stocks must be assessed first and the number of boats should be decided accordingly. But presenting fishers with just one option alone to diversify away from trawling may not cut it as many would not be able to afford the deep sea boats. Rabaka says that multiple solutions are required to address the problem. On one end, uh, they could choose buyback. On the other end, they could choose a deep sea fishing vessel. And in between, there are multiple options. They could use the same vessel and, and fish in the uh, either on Gulf of Mannar or on uh, Coromandel coast, and and switch to other gears. For example, long liner. So they could use the same vessel, but uh, so you incent uh, he is suggesting incentivize them to uh, switch to other gears and then also switch to other waters so there are options like that like you know one side you know, if if they think that uh, for example uh, fishing ha- no requires uh, uh, skill no, it's not easy you know it's quite easy to fish in park bay it is not the case in uh, Gulf of Mannar and Coromandel coast. So there would be a section who would opt out instead of investing. So you know, based upon you know, individuals' choice or you know, set of uh, capabilities, they could decide whether to you know, choose from. And there should be uh, multiple options in hand. And, and only those who have the uh, kind of uh, uh, expertise and also the financial capabilities should opt for uh, deep sea fishing otherwise it's quite uh, you know, uh, difficult for them to manage uh, 
the everyday operation and also a kind of loan repayment that they have to make. But finding a way to do away with dollars is only the first step, says Professor Surya Narayanan. He says that the next step would be to restore access to traditional fishing grounds in the parkway, in a way making the international maritime boundary line irrelevant. In the park bay, what you can do is to have a park bay authority consisting of representatives from India, Tamil Nadu, and Sri Lanka, fishermen organizations and all, and they can decide what is the sustainable fish cut, how many days can Indian fishermen fish, how many days can Sri Lankan fishermen fish. What type of fishing equipment can be used? Are there ways where jointly we can enrich the sea? And the other, thing, other idea that I have floated is that the Sri Lankan Tamil fishermen and Indian Tamil fishermen jointly form a cooperative venture and go for deep sea fishing. That requires, first of all, the cost deficit to be removed. And we should take the need because we are the guilty people mm-hmm. and therefore we mm-hmm. should take the initiative first of all, ban all the trolling, ban the fishing practices which are banned in Sri Lanka. For the dispute to end, India must avoid a one-size-fits-all solution while trying to wean its fishers away from trolling in the park bay and help them live harmoniously with their Tamil kindred across the border. Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. If you like this episode, please rate this podcast or leave a comment. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.